Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host, Shannon Holiday, and me, Letitia Thomas. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits. I'm your host, Shannon Holiday, and I am joined once again by the lovely Letitia Thomas. Yes, yes, you are. And what a morning we have had. We've had such a good morning. It's been wild. What did we do this morning, Tish? So, um, last minute now, because we're like super mega super fans, um, mm-hmm. we went to watch the Matildas get the keys to the city at Brisbane. Yeah. Um, and then right at the end, they brought out <laughs> Nikki Webster to sing Strawberry Kisses. That was a wild experience. So, we were over in River Stage in Brisbane just to see off the, the Tillies after their World Cup campaign. They were doing a little like send-off kind of presentation and it was a little bit formal during most of it, a little bit of interviews, a lot of people speaking from, from like, you know, the premiere and stuff. Brisbane and then, Council and crap, but yeah. Yeah, and then right at the end, which is like a celebratory part of the thing, out comes Nikki Webster. Yeah, out of no nowhere. one knew she was going to be there. No. I mean, well, the people organising the team, but no one else knew. So the team apparently love Nikki Webster and they sing Strawberry Kisses as like their theme song. Like their hype song, yeah. Yeah, so they had no idea that she was going to come out. She came out and they're all dancing with her. Like it was streamers went out to the crowd. Mental. It was mental. It was a really good time. It was a really good time to see them appreciated by the city of Brisbane. A lot of people turned up, and it was a really good event. So. Yeah, it was nice to go to and stuff. But yeah, that was a good morning. Very it was, strange. Yeah, we, last minute we were like, "Hey, do you feel like going to this? Like we've got a free morning. We got to yeah. record, but we can do that later." And you're like, "Yeah, let's go. Let's be real fans." Yeah. it's been two weeks. Yeah, it's been two weeks, <laughs> and we turned up to their send off event. Which uh, it was good. It, it was, was good. A good fun. So now we're getting into this a little bit later in the afternoon. Yeah, and we'll get cracking. I think. Yeah, we what had do you a reckon? Bit of a big week, but we went on. Was it Monday? Monday night. Monday night to see Asteroid City finally, yeah. and we loved it. We both really enjoyed this film. It's Wes Anderson's new film, uh, distributed by Universal. So we worked out it was not Disney mm-hmm. who's getting involved with this one, and we both. Absolutely adored this film. Why did we love this film, Tish? It was just, I mean, Wes Edison stuff is always like a little bit bizarre. Yeah. Um, but this one was so bizarre and just so much fun. Like we laughed too hard, too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so, it was so witty. It was so yeah. surreal and absurdist. Like it's Wes Anderson, but like oh, jacked up to nine. Oh, totally. <laughs> Cause it's about a writer um, and mm. he's writing a world famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech obsessed son to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event um which we've all seen like that's in the trailer but yeah yeah, it cuts between what you see in the trailers to him sort of black and white um a smaller frame yeah and he's just there like writing his play it's, yeah. it's like two stories in one. I and need to see like it again. Wes Anderson basically does this with every film. It's a, it's it's framed in a way where it's like a presentation. It's a stage act. It's a in this one. It's 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 yeah. a theater play, but then the story's played out. It if is if it's real life, but they're actually actors playing those roles. And then Brian Cranston's also a narrator who's kind of telling you about the kind of like what feels like a documentary yeah. of then the filming of the stage play, which is actually the film. It's, it's very surreal. It's a lot. Everyone plays such a good role in this. Oh, the cast is phenomenal. I'll list off like the people that so are in it. Fun. So you got Jason Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Maya Hawke, Sophie Lillis, Liev Schreiber, and there's plenty it just more. Goes that, on, and it goes on, goes on and on and on and on. And ever oh, just all the roles. I love everyone in this. The whole thing was hilarious. And I want the alien. I was about to say I'll, I'm bringing up a particular part in the movie. So we were enjoying ourselves, having having a laugh every now and then because we we love Wes Anderson films. So yeah. we're having a good great time. There's a part where the alien turns. There's an alien in the film. It turns back up for a second time, and they're all waiting basically there for it. And it, it comes off like it's a little podium, and I look across at Tish, and she lives out 
lets out this most audible laugh. It was so I don't know where it, it came was like from. more like a bark. It's not, <laughs> it's not a laugh not, I ever made sound like. You're like, what was that sound I, I just made? Like, ah, oh, what the fuck just happened? Sorry. I just like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, what just happened? <laughs> Imagine cut that. Sorry, yeah. Everyone. Yeah, um, <laughs> even you were surprised. I by know. It. I was like, oh my god, what but just happened? It just goes to show how much we were enjoying the film and it, like enjoying ourselves being there because I think out of anyone I know, I think you being there watching it at the same time as me appreciating Wes Anderson films, we, we had such a good time. It was fun to watch it, yeah, with someone else who really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like if I went with someone, like a couple of my friends who like not really into films but you'd see some films, if I took them along with me, they just wouldn't have got it. It would have been like, what the hell is this? What's the story? What is all this? And you don't really want to explain that to someone while you're seeing it. It's no, we like, just went along for the ride. It was thoroughly enjoyable. So if you haven't seen it, please go see it. And see it in cinemas because it's beautifully shot. Yeah, really beautifully shot. And it's got all his staple, like, um, symmetrical shots, 90-degree pan shots and just, yeah, all the centering that he's known for. So definitely worth checking out. It was uh, a thoroughly enjoyable film and probably one of my top films of 2023 so far. All right, tell us what else you watched because I barely watched anything this week. You watched a lot of sport and we'll get to you later (laughs) about that. I watched a couple of other films. So I watched from 1992, I watched Basic Instinct. I have seen that one. Did you enjoy it? I actually did. It's Hmm. like an erotic thriller. It's starring Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone and it's directed by Paul Verhaven and written by Joe Erezhas. Don't know what else they've done. I didn't really go into it too deep for them. But um, it's about a police detective who is in charge of an investigation of a brutal murder in which a beautiful and seductive woman could be involved. It's definitely a cat and mouse game. It's definitely like a sexual power game um, because she – well, you don't know. Like there's this brutal murder at the start is happening during sex and they're stabbed with an ice pick. The framing of the the woman involved, you never see their face, like the the hair's – across their face while they're stabbing the man. So you don't know actually who does the murder. And it's a whole play out of, well, this person, that's they go and see the girlfriend, looks like it's the girlfriend. She's written a book exactly how the murder played out. And then the detective's like, well, of course that's her alibi even. What she would just say, well, why would I do it? Why would I write something that and do the murder exactly how? And that's exactly what she does. So it's a cat and mouse play, a play of power game throughout the entire thing. And it's kind of framed like it did she do it or did she not? But like she's like pretty much like, yeah, I did it without saying it. And he just gets wrapped up in the in the seduction of this woman, Sharon Stone, beautifully acted by her. She's oh, just fantastic. she plays it so well. And yeah, there's like a few red herrings chucked in there with like the therapist that he sees, like knew her beforehand and she was obsessed with her while at college and stuff like that. And there's like bits and pieces chucked in there where it's like, oh, it could be someone else. It could not be. Um, and you're kind of like guessing right up until the last part about it. They kind of stick together at the end. Like they're still kind of like a power couple at the end because he's not a really good detective. He's kind of like – No, he's pretty terrible. The framing is he sees himself as a hero, but he's definitely the villain of the story. Um, so it's definitely like – yeah, it's like that good versus evil in your mind kind of set. And she's like – it's it, yeah, she's like I'm – getting what I want out of like it was the nineties, you gotta remember that. So like the the sexual progression that was in this film, like it's 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 way ahead of its time. I think she struggled Sharon Stone getting roles after this. Yeah. Because of how sexualized she was. Not that it's full on and terrible, just in the way that I they think, viewed her. Yeah, I I don't understand that with like films like that. She played the role masterfully. It required like a lot of sexual scenes and and, and sexual interactions with other actors so it was fantastic she played the role it was perfect and i would love to see her again in other things if it was that time like she hasn't really done anything since then oh she did the quick and the dead that is worth checking out a western okay random as but i've seen that when i was younger and it was a great film it's got lena dicaprio and as a young 1995 random check that out anyway i would recommend this if you haven't seen it it's a yeah 90s erotic thriller and i really enjoyed it Talk about your sport now, Dish. Okay, so I got in deep. Like, yeah. if this podcast doesn't, exp- like, you know, let everyone know what I'm into every week, it's a nightmare. But anyway, <laughs> um, I was like, well, it's now or never. So I finished watching the Matildas, The World at Our Feet docuseries. I think I briefly mentioned it last yeah, week. Yeah, you started watching it last honestly, week. But honestly, who knows at this point. <laughs> the um, blur of a couple of weeks. Yeah, and like, honestly, 
at first I was like, oh, I don't know how enjoyable this is going to be because it wasn't like there was no like big hook. Yeah. But okay. then once I wa- like watched maybe two episodes, I was like, no, now I'm invested in all of these players, and it yeah. sort of shows their journey to getting into the World mm-hmm. Cup. So it goes from like them first getting all together, then they you know they go through the Asian Cup and that kind of thing. But you just get to know the players a little yeah. bit better and their journeys and the coach too. Oh my Tony. god, Tony. Tones. He is like, if you've watched it, he's like the Ted Lasso of of coaches. Of coaches, he's super sweet. Mm. The way he like br- lets them bring their like little girls and stuff along with yeah. them the whole time. He's like, no, it's like a family thing. Yeah, and yeah, it was just fun to see sort of where they went and then how they picked up some of their younger players too. Yeah, because like, they gave all the like the like the the better season players like a big rest during the Asian Cup, so yeah. they like struggled through it with all their like. The younger, younger squad to bring up through because yeah. that's the idea. Is the and now up. they've got a few like Courtney Vine and stuff Huge they got player. from massive putting her through that tournament. Yeah, like yeah. The, yeah. So it's just kind of cool to see them, yeah. see them get through it. But that's pretty much it for me. And then I obviously was, watch the games, but yeah. I watch a lot of Hunger Games to catch yeah. up. So we'll get to that. Yeah. On that, I was speaking to Ben, my housemate, about the Matildas documentary series, and we kind of made the allusion to uh, like what drive to survive did for f1 is is it it brought in such a wider audience to the sport because you actually understood the actual people involved like you actually have a connection to like they're a person Mm -hmm. they have feelings they have views and you connect to them that way so i feel like the same thing with the matilda's documentary is you actually see that you humanize them through the documentary so when you go watch the games you, you see them and you're out in the field. You're like, okay, I know who that is. Like I understand yeah, like, the, the struggles and their stories to get here. And I think that's it's been an opportunity to reach a wider audience. Therefore, like it's, it's, it's just reaching more people. And I think that's a great thing for the sport. Me too. So. Also, I'm going to let you know right now before you get started. There's yeah. not a lot of Hayley Rasso in the documentary. Oh, damn. She doesn't talk a lot. Well, I'm going to watch it anyway, even but though few bits she's, she does. she's my girl. Yeah. She's my girl. I'm going to get a jersey. When they finally get mm-hmm. restocked with her name on the back, because uh, yeah, we'll be twins. We will be. Um, we'll go on to what else I've been watching because I watched a couple of other films this week. Even though I had an absolutely massive week with stuff on, I had weddings and other things on, and general not really much time to watch things. So I think I did pretty well with four movies. The next thing I watched is The Usual Suspects it's from 1995. It's starring Gabrielle Byrne, Stephen Baldwin, who I randomly worked out that that's Haley, you know, Justin Bieber's wife's dad i was like oh there's a connect okay cool fantastic uh kevin spacey Chaz palamendri kevin Pollack, peter Postlewaite, gina carlo esposito who's mm. from breaking bad um benedict del toro in it as well so this is also directed by brian singer and written by christopher mcquarrie who did Mission Impossible movies. Ah, I'm like his name's familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the Dead Reckoning and all the most recent ones, like Rogue Nation and that. I've not seen this film. You haven't seen it? it? No. This one is basically about Verbal Kint, who is held in an LA interrogation room. He attempts to convince the feds that a mystic crime lord, Kaiser Soze, not only exists, but was also responsible for drawing him and his four partners, which are the ones into a multi-million dollar heist that ended with an explosion in the San Pedro Harbor leaving few survivors. Oh. So this film has that iconic scene where they do the lineup scene where it's the five of them walking in and they have to read that line. That line, I'm not going to say it because it's got swearing in it, but this scene was all ad-libbed. So they all walk in and they're given a particular line and they're not told how to deliver it, just deliver it how your character would, yeah. would deliver it. So you can see them kind of like just doing whatever they would as the actors. And not only that, I'm pretty sure when I read some behind the scenes stuff about this scene, Benedict Totoro, like apparently he like rips fart like during the scene. So when he goes to like read his, you can see the other four characters like breaking character, like <laughs> losing their shit. It's very funny and it's very good. So it all, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good crime thriller movie and it, it doesn't take place in chronological order. So because Kevin Spacey's character is one of the ones that survives, he's telling the story in like flashback moments. So it goes a little bit there. Then it goes back to him getting interrogated in in the present time as the LA investigators are getting a little bit more information from someone else who survived. And then that feeds into a flashback scene. 
and it all gets pieced together and it kind of has one of the most iconic plot twists in film history. I actually don't know right the plot twist. I'm not going to say anything right at the end. And um, that kind of like tied together the movie for me. I was like, this is, why did I sleep on this? It was really good and really well acted. So definitely worth checking out. I will add it. Add it to the list. I don't that we, have a list. We're going to have to do an episode, add it to the list too, I think. Yeah, well, we just get to <laughs> catch up on stuff that we've told each other to watch. Yeah, watch this, watch that. It's already a list of about 10 things. Um, have you got anything more? I've got, well, do, Not my, really. do my last one. I just watched, yeah, Hunger Games and the FIFA games. That's okay. You watched the Hunger Games. I didn't. I just kind of went off what I remembered. Um, the last movie I, I watched. I did homework, Shannon. You did do homework. Yeah. The last film I ended up watching was the 2003 The Haunted Mansion. Starring Eddie Murphy, Marsha Tomanson, Terrence Stamp, Wallace Shawn, and Jennifer Tilly. And it's directed by an unknown. So this is... A poor guy. <laughs> poor guy. Poor Rob. Uh, this one is... I watched this because knowing full well that the new one's coming out, the 2023 Haunted Mansion, that that's a reboot. So this series is based off the ride at Walt Disney movie. This the Whatever. Disney World? Disney Disneyland. Disneyland? Okay. I've been on the ride. Have you? Yeah. And, and is I'm, it fun? Yeah, so <laughs> we had a group of people because it was from a uni trip. Yeah. And um, there was this one girl that was kind of like tagging along with us and like she was kind of friends but like – She's well, just – Not really. Yeah. Um, any, anyway, I'm not going to name names but um, yeah, this one girl who was annoying the crap out of us all day. So that the way the ride starts is you get in this room and then I think all the lights go out or I can't remember but basically the floor – Drops. Drops. Yeah. So you're in this like haunted thing, the floor drops, and then I can't remember what you sit in, but you we all got separated. Oh, okay. Um, so we all went in pairs, mm. except for her, who got stuck on it by herself, and she grabbed a pen. She was so scared. Like, it was not scary. It's it's one of those rides where it's like, uh, like it's there, but it's not a scary thing. But she thing. was terrified. <laughs> and we kind of were like, oh, we're sorry oh, that you whoops. ended up by yourself. Oh, just odd numbers. Odd yeah. numbers. No, but it's a fun fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of the movie, I don't know. It was it was just by the numbers, two thousand three flick. I didn't feel anything when I was watching it. Like, not it wasn't bad, but it was just it did not grab me. I just maybe I wasn't in the right mood for it, but it, I didn't love it it so much. So it's basically about a workaholic Jim Evers and his wife, business partner Sarah, get a call one night from a mansion owner Edward Gracie, who wants to sell his house. Once the Evers family arrive at the mansion, a torrential thunderstorm of mysterious origin strands them with the brooding eccentric Gracie, his mysterious butler, and a variety of residents, both seen and unseen. Basically, it's about this story where this ghost, Gracie, thinks his long-lost wife uh, is Eddie Murphy's partner, Sarah. So they're trying to reunite. That's why they bring the family there. There's a whole mystery of things that happen throughout the film where they try and work out what really went on in the past when, like, his wife... It's it's framed as if she kills herself, so he kills himself, mm-hmm. it, like, at the start. Like a Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, kind of one of those situations. And it turns out, like, through Eddie Murphy, like, roaming around the haunted mansion house, he finds a note that's been locked up. Because it's all been orchestrated by the butler. The butler's evil because he didn't believe that the... Gracie should be with the the wife. So he wrote his own note and gave it to him saying, I'm leaving you, but blah, blah, blah. I'm killing myself. She didn't kill herself. The butler poisoned her. The butler did it. Basically, the butler did it. And she wrote a note being like confessing her love for. And essentially, at the end of the film, Eddie Murphy and the wife save the day by, you know, killing the butler properly and giving the note to the husband, Gracie, so he can then move on. Because he can go, oh, I appreciate the fact that, you know, like she did confess her love to me and move on. And he hands the house to Eddie Murphy at the end for like basically reconnecting with the wife. Um, yeah, that's it. That was basically the story for an hour and a half. It was okay. It was okay. I don't think it's one I'm going to check out. I probably wouldn't. I'm, I, I watched this because I am going to consider going seeing Haunted Mansion, the new reboot that's in cinemas like next week or this week or something. It's a different take on it. It's not like the same family going with just different actors. It's a different, it's a spin on the same kind of like, it's a yeah. haunted mansion with 999 ghosts. Something else happens basically. Yeah. But it's the same kind of vibe. So I watched this preempting to go, well, what's the new one going to be like? So I can compare as well. So that was what I watched this week. And on that note, 
I think it's time for us to get into some trivia. I think it is. Am I going to go first? You can go first. All right. Um, what is the name of the first gremlin in the 1984 movie? Malgwai? Am I close? Yeah, well, they are. That's the name of the creatures. Oh. What's his name? No, I've just got Malgwai. Oh, it's Gizmo. Of course it's Gizmo. It's my friend's dog. And it's named after... <laughs> is it Andy's dog? No, it's not Andy's oh. dog. It's Libby's dog. So, sorry, Libby. I don't oh. remember why your dog's name is Sorry, Gizmo. Libby. Yeah. Also, you need to message her back. I will. I will and say thank you for messaging in. But Gizmo is... That, I remember that. You now. did not get that one. Not even close. Okay. Your first question. What item is in every fight club scene? Oh, man. Um... You know how it's like one of those films yeah. that does certain things? I've got a ABCD if you need. Is it something that's yellow? No. Am I it's wrong? No. I, yeah. So the options are A, a Coca-Cola can, B, a Starbucks cup, C, a Dunkin' Donut, or D, a Pepsi bottle. Coca-Cola? Is it Pepsi? I don't know. It's a Starbucks cup. Oh. Starbucks cup's in every scene of Fight Club. I've only seen that movie once. I should watch it again I think. For the cultural significance of it? Maybe. I just remember not finding it super special. Do you remember why? Or was it yeah, just a time and place? I, was, I watched it when I first was in uni. Yeah. And all the, it was one of those like film bro movies. Oh, you got to see it, Fight Club. It, you got to see Fight is. Club. You got to see Fight Club. It is. But and then I saw it and I was like, like it was good, yeah. but it wasn't. I feel like if you're not watching it for a purpose of like say studying or for an assignment or just literally in your own accord, you want to I mean, watch it. That's why I watched it, but that's, it's a good film. I do want to see it again. Cause my thing was like, Oh, what's all it's all about. And then I was like, Oh, it's a very film bro movie yeah. where it's like, Oh, you're into films. Yeah. Fight club's my favorite. Yeah. Film. And you're like, ah, God. Okay. Anyway. Um, where did Dolores played by Whoopi Goldberg find refuge in, in sister act? It's a church, right? She's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, I, yeah. I was like, is this a loaded question with something else to it? And it's a church. It's nope. Sister Act. Like, I just, just <laughs> no, okay, cool. one for you, yeah. Thank you, God, I got that one. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> cool. I have It said convent, but seen, that is a church. Okay, yeah. Convent is a church. I haven't seen these. I think my parents watched these when I was very young, but I can't say I've seen them. I don't know if I've seen them completely start to finish in one There's sitting. two, right? But There's, I have seen yeah. them, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad I got that. Thank you. Uh, making that easy. On to your next question. In which country was the 2017 movie Call Me By Your Name filmed? Uh, Italy. Correct. I've not yes, seen that. neither have I, but it's pretty. Uh, it's obvious it's Italy. Maybe I should. No, I'm not going to watch it before I go. Well, you're going over there. It could help. It probably won't help. <laughs> I'm like, uh. You could watch A Haunting in Venice first. <laughs> that could help. No, I don't think so. I have nothing to say. No. <laughs> we'll move on to the podcast. next. <laughs> yeah. We'll move on to the next question. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I've never given much thought to how I would die. Is the opening line to what movie? I know it, but I, I do. I have options. No. Give me a hint, because I do know it. I just need a little hint to go. Uh, yes, that's the one. Like, kind of a film in the same vein of the, what we're talking about this week. Twilight? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I think Twilight? Yeah, no, You're it is. Like, it's your can Twilight. Can you give me a hint? And I'm like, yes. I honestly don't know what hint without I can give you without away. giving it yeah. away. Yeah. Now that you said, I was like, yeah, that's it. It's Twilight. It's, it, was on the, it was on the back of my brain. It was one of those ones you never thought you'd ever have to recall. No, exactly. And I thought, I've seen, today's yeah, the day. I've seen Twilight a few times, the first one. Yeah, that me, scene me where he stops the truck and they stare at each other. I've seen on TikTok, someone used the Snapchat filter with the googly eyes <laughs> during that scene and it's put it on TikTok where she's got the googly eyes and then he stops the truck and it goes to his googly eyes. Anyway, it I looks saw very funny. This morning and it was like I love how they put when they like when they all sit at the lunch table. Yep. I love where they put one carrot out for Edward and like all and then some, like someone's like, you know, talked about it and like all of the food, like a half in banana is just placed on the table itself. Like not on not a on tray. A, yeah. On a plate. Just <laughs> on the table. I mean, they're not going to eat it. It's but. a very bizarre film for so many reasons. Yeah. Like those scenes in particular. I I, I, it's iconic. Truly. Without for, that. For being Twilight. That blue color grade. The, someone well did done. also a Photoshop where it, it, it's not. those scenes don't have yeah. that blue hue color grading on it. And yep. it, it looks very <laughs> weird. <laughs> so it kind of works for that. All righty. Your last question okay. for trivia for today. Who plays lawyer-turned-youth hockey coach Gordon Bombay in the Mighty Ducks franchise? 
Is it Emilio Estevez? Yes, I've absolutely. I've not seen the Mighty Ducks. Have you not? Um, I think they put it on once in like grade eight, but I don't recall I, watching Well, it. the first one's called Champions in America. I, I know that. And then the Mighty Ducks 2 and 3. But no, I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones where I it was in my childhood, so I've seen it a couple of times, and I think I watched them about three years ago in a row. They're fun. For me, it's nostalgia because I remember them. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched yeah. them. Quack, quack, quack. It's the flying V. I'm going to stop right there. Oh, I've seen it a couple of times. That was uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's Coach Bombay. Anyway, um, did I win? Did I win trivia this week? I think you did because I think I got the first one wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So you are the winner going into that. And that means we are up to the news for today. Yeah. Look, nothing too nothing shocking. exciting. So yeah. strap in. Um, so Amazon has cancelled two new shows this week, which is like super fun. Mm. I've, oh, that's I've right, something to discuss about this with you. Yeah, yeah. me too. So they've cancelled A League of Their Own um, and then they cancelled The Peripheral. So mm-hmm. A League of Their Own was like given a short second season um, after people like really wanted it. So they gave it four episodes instead of the eight the first season had, despite doing quite well. Um, and then The Peripheral, which I don't know much about it, um, but yeah, it's been cancelled for its second season as well. And the sort of the reasoning they've given is because of the strike, the series won't be released for a second season until 2025. So I guess it's not worth it. Uh, I don't know. Like that's where I've got an opinion on this is is like I get seasonal shows. In the old sense of seasonal shows, it used to be yearly. You'd yeah. go from September to May and then you'd have a break and come back the next year. That was the next season. With shows – the way they are on streaming at the moment, like you can, and the production value of things, it's expected now for them to go like a little bit longer. Look at Stranger Things. Yeah. The gaps between those seasons have gotten a little bit longer each time a new season comes out. Like it makes sense. It doesn't need to be the next year. Like the peripheral, I started watching that and it wasn't, it was not half deep. Like it was pretty, pretty good. Like I didn't mind it. I yet again had fell off watching it. For no reason of its own, I just started watching some other things, didn't catch up. Uh, could have done a second season. There's no reason why not. Same with The League of Their Own. Just mm. do those last four episodes. Finch off the story for people yeah. that actually loved it. It like, was fantastic, the quality of that one, mind you. Um, yeah. Abby Jacobson, just genius, mm. the way that they like rebooted it for like a yeah. new audience, but also like telling stories that weren't mm. told back then. And they just... They put so much in it to get it to get a second season, mm-hmm. and then Amazon's just gone. Oh nah. no! Well, that's that's what sorry what we're saying. And like everything's pretty conservative right now as well. Yeah. So they're just like, yeah, that's not let's a story cut. we're let's gonna. Cut. And, and it happens time and time and mm-hmm. time and time again right now. So yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and cuts are happening right, left, and center as we were discussing earlier. Like Disney Plus is about to come up with a few other cuts to their the list of things that are on the streaming service. Yeah, I couldn't see that article, but anyway. Yeah, it's to do with production thing. I don't know. It's a, they're saying budget cuts costing. I'm like, what? What? It's What do you mean? Budget for what? For what do you mean? Nothing's been made. You're not paying writers, so. <laughs> or actors. Or actors at the moment, so you surely got money. Anyway, next thing. Uh, Disney Plus finally announced a date for their Percy Jackson series. This comes after a failed movie series back in the 2010s. This time, it has the blessing of author Rick Rodan, who has promised fan service. It will arrive on December 20 with two episodes and then will follow with weekly drops. They will. They have also released their trailer. So check that out. Yeah. So I – have you ever watched the movies? I've watched them. Yeah. I got – like I watched them when I was about 13 and then I got big into the oh, series. Really? Like, like I haven't big. read the books. I've just like, seen those movies. I finished Harry Potter and I didn't know what to do with my life and so Percy you, Jackson you got into that? filled that gap. Yeah. So that got me super, super into it. And then I liked the first movie – as a like as a film, if mm-hmm. you take it away from w- what the books were, yeah, I it enjoyed stood it up on that. its own. Yeah, it was t- deeply like <laughs> off base to what the books were, but yeah. like I think that's why they've. Put I didn't in there, care. Like, they tried to sort of yeah, yeah re redo the second one so it fit better, mm-hmm. but like it was too far gone. Yeah. to try and also they're supposed to be twelve. Yeah, like they were quite old. Is it um, Logan Marshall or whatever uh, his Logan name is? Logan Lerman. Lerman. Yeah, a, yeah, he's a lot, of, a, lot a lot older. older. So this one's kind of they're actually the ages that way. or closer to the age yeah. they're supposed to be. And I've seen the trailer. The author, I think he's helping write it, which I'm like, eh. see, I love this guy, like loved him, yeah. like hero worship, worshipped him, and then I read the final book in the like series. companion series. So there was like the first Percy Jackson books oh, and then okay. they did and the Heroes of Olympus yeah. that was like them and some other characters and it was like continuing the adventure. Mm. 
And that last book was written so badly. Mm. It was like a like ghost writer had come on. And you think just, maybe they did though? Um, I don't know, probably. Um, but it was just, it did all of the characters like an injustice. Yeah, okay. And I've never been able to read all the series again. Like it just, yeah, that, that, I so waited. So j- just not a good send off Not for a good send off. And okay. I mean, this guy's making tons now. Yeah, like, like it's about to go to Disney again. So. Yeah, well just, and he just keeps writing. Like yeah. he'd be like, oh, they're this series. Oh, he's a cousin of them or something. Yeah, it's yeah, very crazy. Just, but yeah, it's selling. So he's going to keep doing it. I don't know if I'll check this out. I think I will just out of it's curiosity. December. Like it's a while off yet. And but. It's it's weekly, so it's yeah. not going to invest too much of your time to watch. No, too much. but I think yeah, if this had been out like in the 2010s when I was like 13, when you were fully wrapped up in it, so so yeah. into it, yeah, I'm excited. I'll probably check this out, even though I haven't read the books. I've just watched the movies a while ago. I'll I'll check it. I read these books like that, easy, like one Christmas. Reads. I think I read three of them in like three days in my dad's place. Oh my god! Yeah, they're okay. like they're pretty pretty small. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last bit of news. Studios and the WGA have sat down for negotiations. Next week, we should see the results with a counteroffer. At this stage, there is no big news, but we'll keep you updated about that. Yeah, so not sure what's going on at the moment, obviously, but we'll keep you updated when we find out. Hopefully, they can, you know... Come to an agreement after this. At least, let's see, because, yeah, at the moment, they're negotiating. Time will tell what that means for the industry, but it's got to get to a point soon. It is getting it's, it's it's the longest writers strike, so it's getting yeah it's getting pretty bad. So we'll see how that goes, and we'll keep you up as soon as we get news. We'll we'll pop it in. We'll pop it in. Yeah, that brings us to the Hunger Games. Yes, main Yay. topic: the Hunger Games series. So, what four films are in those? Tish, uh, we've got the Hunger Games. Yes, surprisingly, uh, we've got <laughs> the Hunger Games: Catching Fire. Yes, we've got the Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part One. Yes, and then we've got the Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two. Um, so these started in 2012, they were released, and then they were finished by 2015. Yeah, so each yearly kind of, I think they were around October-ish, they came out each year, because yeah, yeah, I, I, I ended up seeing them possibly. all at cinemas. I think I did too. I can't quite recall by the end, because mm. uh, these came out when I was like in grade 10, the first one. So yeah, I was like okay. the prime age. You're the this. target market for yeah, this I was the target film audience. series yeah. slash book series. book series, which I also got into. Yeah, so this is based off a book series by Suzanne Collins. Uh, each film is a book, except for the last one's obviously part one. Part two is the last book itself. And then they've got a prequel book out, which is getting made into a movie that's coming out this year. Yeah, so yeah. I, need to, I need to read that book. Snakes and Songbirds prequel. That's the name of it. Yeah, it's worth checking out this series, and we will say why. Yeah, so... I remember seeing the first one when I was 15. Everyone started talking about it, I think, because the film had come out or Mm -hmm. it was about to come out. I can't quite remember which way around I got on the bandwagon, whether it was the movie or the book, but I think it may have been the book. Mm -hmm. And we all got amongst it reading that and then going to see the film. And I remember seeing it with my my grandma and my mum because they used to love coming to see all the the kids' films and stuff with me at the time. And, um, yeah, I remember being so unfazed by it because I, you know, read – Harry Potter and then I'd got into Twilight and then I'd got into Percy Jackson around the same. So I was like very used to like kids go to war and mm. they fight and they beat whatever the evil is it and was it's a, fine. It, for young adult dystopian. novels, it was the dystopian vibe. It was very, it was a, a lot. There yeah. was a lot of those style things. Like Divergent series as well. Red like, Maze Run at the same time as well. Like yeah, who knows? That was also I was the same. like just reading all of them. I thoroughly enjoyed the Maze Run. And I was like. Surprisingly. Yeah, me too. We'll get to that another week. Yeah, that's um, a different one. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I was like, whatever. Yeah, this is cool. This is fine. And I remember my mum and grandma being like, I am deeply uncomfortable by this. And I don't this, know yeah. if like well, in theory, kids should be into it because it's kids killing yeah, each so other. Yeah, so what is The Hunger Games? Yeah, so it's sort of a series where Katniss Everdeen is like a 16 um, and they have this reaping, yeah. which is essentially where there's a televised competition where kids from each district, which is sort of like town because it's like post-apocalyptic America. Yeah. Each uh, district is in charge of a different like uh, resource yeah. for the capital. So like 12's coal mining, 4's like water stuff. There's other ones that do yeah. other things. So they pick two kids, a boy and a girl out of each district and then they put them in a like arena yeah. that's um, managed by people so they can like change it up kind of at, at a whim. Yeah, and these kids have to kill each other, fight to the death until yeah. there is one survival. Each year it sort of changes slightly because they yeah. like to throw in different rules to just keep it fun for the people for at the home people watching. That are watching in the capital. So most of the time it's like if if two people from the same district are left at the end, then they can both win. 
Yes. Sometimes. Yes. I don't know. It changes up, but basically, it changes with it's, the rules and who the playmaster is. Yeah, yeah, the game maker, as they call it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, maker. there's sort of like one person, one person standing, but they're all kids from like twelve until like 18. 18. 18. Yeah. And so as it goes along, the first couple of districts, like one, two, and three, are basically they're the more richer districts. So what they do is they train up their children to be what's called career candidates for the Hunger Games. And they actually volunteer to go into like a certain, when they're at a certain age to go into the Hunger Games. Whereas in the further out districts are like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to 12, they are what is in the reaping. They get chosen by out of a ballot. And the further out you go, the number of district is how poor that kind of district is. So for the first couple of districts, it's, it's seen as like, if you win the Hunger Games, it's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor, and whereas literally for like District Twelve, it's just like it's basically certain death because yeah. they're so poor they haven't had a chance to train for it or anything. It basically, it's picking children to die. And what what happens too is obviously in the first one, Katniss's little sister who's twelve gets picked, so Katniss Rimrose volunteers Everdeen. as tribute, and yep. she goes in her place. But in and I don't know if it's mentioned super much in the film, maybe not at all. But in the books, because they're so poor, if you put your name in twice, you get sort of oil and yeah. grains and stuff. You get like you get given something. So a lot of the time parents will put their kids' names in the ballot more than yeah. once because they need stuff to survive. It's really grim. It's very yeah, very dystopian. Do you like what were you doing when it came out? Like what was your life like? I was at uni. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read any of the books yet. I went along with a couple of friends because it was like the new kind of movie just to see. It was out and I was like, yeah, I'll come along. And I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed seeing this one. This one spurred me along to read the book series. So in between this one and Catching Fire coming out, I read one, two, and three. I yep. read all the books. And then I went and saw Catching Fire. And I, out of the book reading, loved Catching Fire the most. I know we're, up, we're not up to Catching Fire yet, but I love that the most. So when I saw the film I was I was like really eager I think I may have really eager well to see the next fire. film and and from there I just obviously was really keen to see the rest of the series when it came out um the first one was good because it kind of sets up a lot of the in, like uh, original characters like you got Jennifer Lawrence playing Katniss you've got Josh Hutchinson playing Peter Malark Josh Hutchinson was big back in the day too like well, he, he just did the Journey films. of the Center of the Earth and it was a bunch of other stuff yeah, as well he, he was, was very much like Herbithia. a young oh yeah that's right he was in he Bridgeton. was in Zathura like he was big he back was then. like that tween movie yeah, he was in a lot of my childhood movies yeah. Josh Hutchinson Liam Hemsworth mm-hmm. in this is Gail yep um, and you've got Elizabeth Banks in there as well this was one of Liam Hemsworth's kind of first big yeah it was, it was his break into Hollywood was the Hunger Games series because obviously Chris was already involved with doing Thor already and then yeah this was his break into into because he obviously came over from from the Australian soaps uh, um, straight into this yeah because he did Neighbours as well I'm pretty uh, sure yeah. uh, it's got Woody Harrelson um, he is basically the mentor of um, Katniss and Peter so he was a previous winner of the Hunger Games. He won the 50th Hunger Games, um, annual Hunger Games, which was the one where they, it's like the second quarter quell. Now the third quarter quell, which is Catching Fire, but we'll get to that later. The second quarter quell is the 50th. And what they did is they actually put double the amount yep. of um, tributes into the Hunger Games. So it was like 50 overall people in there to vie for the win. And he ended up winning that. But um, it kind of definitely deeply affected his kind of like psyche. And he definitely had some trauma from that. So he's like a heavy drinker. He's like, you know, one of those guys that's like, what what is life kind of thing. He's an and alcoholic. He's an alcoholic. And basically he's in charge of mentoring these two to be ready for. They have the names, but I can't think of what the names are of the people that <sighs> win and then they come back. Yeah, I... Anyway, he's he, yeah, I forget his name as well off the top of my head. So he's heavily involved in the mentorship. So he actually really gets involved at the start. He's like, whatever, you're going to die basically in a certain way around it. But then he kind of like, he gets to know Jennifer Lawrence's character and Josh Hutcherson's character. And he kind of in the background, cause he, he's there at the Capitol when it's happening. The idea is to get sponsors. So the more sponsors you have, more people like you in the, in the uh, Capitol, they put money into it so you can get resources when you're actually in the actual Hunger Games, which can actually be life-saving things. Yeah, so it's he, like when you vote for your favourite yeah, singers on the voice yeah, or Yeah, so you whatever. get more resources while you're there. And so he's working in the background constantly to try and get people on side for Katniss and Peter. So he's really out for, to help them out. And then you've got Stanley Tucci, who plays like the presenter. I forget his name as well, presenter when um, they're in the lead-up to the games. It'll come back to me in a yeah, minute. Yeah, it'll come back. It's just gone. It's it, – this – the book series 
the first one, Hunger Games, and the second one, Catching Fire, it basically both of them break up the book into two parts. So the first part of the book of Hunger Games is basically of them getting picked, them getting sent to the capital and preparing. But a lot of it's like a really big presentation of these people into the capital and, and like uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence wears that dress when she spins around and turns into the, you know, the girl on fire and the dress changes to bas- was a mockingbird. Yeah. Outfit. Oh, no. He's Caesar Flickerman. That's right. Yeah. Caesar Flickerman. And the one who uh, designs the dress is. Sinner. Sinner. Who is Lenny Kravitz. Lenny which Kravitz. I didn't realize until like today. Yeah, and then yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, of Lenny course Kravitz. it is. Yeah. So he designs all the outfits because it's a big, like, it's a big presentation in the lead up because it's for the capital. This whole thing is just entertainment. Yeah. Whereas it's like just this most morbid thing it's, for anyone else. It's kind of like the old, because a lot of they take Roman inspiration. So it's yeah. kind of like the gladiator fights essentially. Yeah. Um, but obviously and modernized. I was telling you about the film, the Japanese film, which definitely came before it called Battle Royale. Yeah, I've not seen. I should watch it. It's great. It is good. It's about these um, same kind of concept. There's too many kids. It's in, in Japan and stuff. So they send all these teenagers to go and basically do the Hunger Games as well. But in, it's called Battle Royale and it plays out the same way. And it's a really good film. Definitely worth checking out. But the same concept essentially. Yeah. It's just like fight to the death, last person wins kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, the second half of the books slash movies is basically the Hunger Games. So it takes place from inside the actual game itself, and Katniss essentially becomes this beacon of like hope for the districts. So there was a previous uprising in all the districts against the capital. The idea of the Hunger Games is essentially like a power play by the capital being like, we're in charge. This is a reminder every year that we are in charge of you. We're going to run the Hunger Games. So we send your children to die. We send your children to die. And throughout the Hunger Games, the first one, Katniss kind of stands up to the the fact that she's in this. Like she she looks after this character called Rue, who's from District 11, who's this young girl who essentially saves her once, but then Katniss kind of looks after her the whole time. And then eventually... Unfortunately, Rue gets killed by one of the career tributes and Katniss like buries her essentially with the flowers and then does the symbol of the Mockingjay. Yeah. And this is all televised to all the districts and when the District 11 sees this, they start an uprising. That's kind of the start of the symbol of the uprising. She becomes that symbol. And the end of this movie, it comes down to it. There's a couple left and it's uh, Peter, Katniss and... I forget the name of the guy, but it's the guy from District 1 Kato? left. Kato. yeah. And they end up killing Kato and they end up both winning the Hunger Games. Yeah, well, what what had happened is there was a rule in this one yeah. that if you and the other person from your district were the last two left, you could both win Yeah, and be like a thing. But um, to get sort of views... Uh, Katniss and Peter pretend to be in love mm-hmm. because that's a show for the people to yeah, watch. It's and a stuff. story. So they sort of are playing this this game for them. Um, Star-crossed lovers, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and then right at the very end, this big announcement comes through yeah. and it goes, uh, sorry, only one only of you one. can survive. And um, they had these Nightlock berries, yeah, po- which had killed someone else before. Yeah. yeah. And um, they basically just went, no, we're going to eat these berries because, like... Let's have no winner because that will really... F you to the capital. They'll show the capital. So they both are literally about to eat these berries and... And then they're like, no, 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 no. There's an announcement again. You're all winners. Yeah, you're Um, both So they come back sort of being this beacon of hope for the districts where they're really poor, but also the capital, like, everyone loves this crazy couple that have sort of dared to give them a show that they didn't expect they were ever going to get. Yeah, yeah. And that's what leads into Catching Fire because at the start of Catching Fire is essentially their victory tour. Yeah. So they're both winners. They come back to home, uh, back to District 12, and then they're told they have to go on a victory tour, yeah. which means they have to go to all the other districts, visit, make a speech in front of them, and that kind of also builds on the rebellion that's happening because they're still seen as like a beacon of hope for these different districts. And as this is happening, as they're going through the districts, President Snow is seeing how much like influence they're having on the different districts. So what he does is when he devises the next Hunger Games, which is the 75th one, the third quarter quell, he decides to make the rules. This one in particular is all previous winners of the Hunger Games are, are retributed into the new one. So, And I found it kind of you know unnerving to watch this time around because mm. last time I saw it was like, you know, late 2000s mm. so it's been about 10 years give or take mm. and um it sort of starts up they go to 
the District 11, I think it is where Rue was from. Yeah, that's and, where Rue's one And is. there's like a riot and stuff. Yep. And then there's a lot of brutality from yep. the, um, they're called peacemakers, essentially. They're, yeah, they're, they're cops. They're own military. Private, their own private kind of army for the capital. But um, yeah. it was scary kind of to watch this after going through 2020, not too long ago, with yeah. all of the riots in America and the yeah. brutality and stuff like that. It's, and you're kind of like, fun. oh, hang on, we kind of lived a version of this. Of this. And I remember bringing it up to my mum during like 2020 and COVID, like when it was mm-hmm. super big. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is unsurprising, you know, and all the people being like, you know, the government of this and like the whole, you know, feel of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is kind of like normal to me. And mum's like, I don't understand how this could be normal. I'm like, I grew up watching yeah. so many dystopian films films and and things where this was happening to people and it was like the teenagers that were like you know rebelling and dealing with it and through us it was like you know kids on tiktok being like this is what's really going on in this place but just strange i think it's surreal Surreal. to have watched that but yeah so the second one like you were saying to get back to yeah yeah you know the plots Mm -hmm. yeah they sort of have to go back in so katniss is obviously going to get picked because there's no other victor that's female female have to go in from previous and it's either going to be um What's his Woody name? Harrelson's character, which I can't remember for the top it's of my head. It's just gone for me too. Um, yeah, I'll find out. I know and it. And then um, uh, Peter ends up going, he volunteers. Hamish Abathy. Hamish, yeah. So anyway, so it's either going to be Hamish or it's going to be Peter. And um, Hamish promises Katniss that if Peter gets drawn, he'll volunteer. Yeah. Um, but he's like, obviously, if the kid gets picked, there's nothing I can do. Mm. And then I think Peter gets picked. No, Hamish gets picked. Hamish but gets then picked. Um, Peter, Peter volunteers. volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. Which because then it kind of like doubles down on the like the love story yeah. that's kind of there because he actually does he, he like loves genuinely her. loves her like he, he over the course of the first book he like genuinely loves Katniss. It's very typical. Um, There's team. a love triangle as well because yeah. Gail's involved. Liam Hemsworth's character, even though he's not really involved in the first book film, no, as he's much, just the best friend. He's the best friend that lives at home, teaches her to like hunt. hunt they kind of survive together. Together because they both they fathers died in the coal mine accident yep. years earlier so they're both they're both the ones the breadwinners of the family so they've become very close they hunt together to get food for the family yeah it's essentially a love triangle between those three back to catching fire so yeah so they're off they're not really in love but they need to make something up and i think it's i mean i just watched this but i truly don't remember i think it's peter who brings it up he says oh yeah if blah blah, blah it's not so much of a big deal if it wasn't for the baby so then they pretend that pretend she's pregnant, that she's pregnant yeah. to again get sympathy yeah, again, sponsors and sponsors. Yeah. Um. And so this one's kind of like you said, set up in two parts. So you think at the beginning it's mostly just all of the old tributes getting back yeah. together, getting back in the ring. Some mm. of them are really old. Some of them are this. Some yeah, of them are that. Midge is it or some ma- of them are like yeah. Some the of them old like, one from four. Yeah, like friends as well. So mm. it's kind of complicated in that way because they've all kind of grown up as victors together. Yeah, they've got a connection they're, where they're the victors. And so they've been yeah. sort of exploited to whatever degree by the capital and mm. all of this kind of stuff. So you think it's kind of going that way. Yeah. And then they sort of form alliances. Yeah. They get into the games. Mm-hmm. They start like, you know, fighting it out. Yeah, a lot of people die of early, but then there's the core group still alive. And then... It sort of comes to it and at some point you realise that something bigger is going on yeah. than simply just another Hunger another Games. Hunger Games. So it's obviously it's the capital's way of just, you know, dealing with all of the uprisings yeah. which are continuing to go on throughout the book this, and mind the movie, you. yeah. But yeah, they're sort of devising a plan to to get out of it. Mm. Um, and then a lot of people are in on this just not Katniss. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people are on the inside. A lot of the tributes from previous years uh, have devised a plan with someone on the inside in the capital. The game, the was it the game, the game maker, maker, game maker, yeah, who is um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, uh, he plays the game maker in the second one, and they have devised a plan to basically escape from the actual Hunger Games place where it is, and then get back to District 13, which people have previously thought was destroyed in the Dark Days, which was the early rebellion, which is where the rebel base is. Kat- they went underground instead. Yeah, they went underground. Katniss ends up – she re- like, they all realise where the edge of the Hunger Games thing is. Yeah, there's, like, a force field and, and stuff. they time – because every hour is a new event. It's in, a clock. It's yeah. a clock, and every hour is a new event in the match – they work out when the lightning strikes. So what she does is she does an arrow the same time as the lightning strike to hit the the wall of the mm-hmm. game and it kind of like sets off a train, chain reaction to blow a hole in the roof 
And the whole thing was timed for them to basically escape out of out of the Hunger Games. But she just didn't know that was going to happen. No, because she's the mocking Jay for the rebellion. Yeah, now, so they didn't tell us. Unbeknownst so, to her. Yeah, a lot of them escape out of out of the Hunger Games, except for Peter. Peter and Joanna. Yeah, they're yeah. the two that get captured. I did find to, before we go too much into mocking Jay. Yeah, I did really enjoy the additions to yeah. this one, where there's you know past yeah. victors. I thought it was very fun. Yeah. Um, that young male character who's really good with the javelin. It's played by Sam Caflin. Yeah. I can't forget remember his name either. But he I watched it two nights ago, but yeah, he's in it and then you got um he plays Finnick O'Dare. That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and that's then it. Jenna Malone plays yep. who does she play? She Joanna Mason. Yep. It's yep. coming to me in bits. <laughs> District seven she's from. Yep. She's crazy. She's crazy, she's but I love her. She plays it so well as well. She's like an unhinged kind of tribute. Like she's still an ally of uh Katniss's character, but she's so unhinged. Yeah, she's just ready. She's out for blood because yeah. all of her family got murdered. Got murdered. Yeah. So she's like, I have no one that they can hurt. No, they, you can't touch me. Yeah. Yeah. Which whereas with sets her um, apart. Phoenix character, they've got her they've got his sister. His sister. Right? And also his he had a love interest as well. Or is it the love Annie, interest? Annie. Annie's his love interest. Yeah. So Annie they was in the her. previous games and yeah. she's lost her mind, but he loves her and yeah, sort of still has cares a for her in a way. So they have, that's why he's so That's why Mag's volunteers. That's right. The old lady volunteers. Yeah, because she's her. a previous one from quite an old mm-hmm. uh, Hunger Games. And then there was some more from other districts that have sort of lost their mind a little bit. Yeah. That are yeah. Pretty smart. And then at the end of that, when everything explodes and she gets taken away, and the other ones, they reveal to her that she is the symbol of rebellion. There is a District 13. We're taking you there now. Unfortunately, Peter's been captured, and that's how Catching Which is Fire a lot ends. For a 16, 17 year old girl. Yeah. Like when I was a teenager watching this, I was like, yeah, of course, she's got it. Now I'm like 25 looking back and I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. How did you feel about Jennifer Lawrence act, like acting this? I thought it, this is phenomenal for uh, from her, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of her early things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, she's done plenty since then. but She was sort of she an just, indie girl before yeah, this. Yeah. She envisioned the role of Katniss perfectly. Like when I read it and then I saw her, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly what I Because this character is very – she has emotion but she's not in touch with she, them at all. No. She's kind of just like – I, I had, think because she's got a bit, she's had to be the breadwinner. She had to survive. And survive. So she's, she's learnt to like suppress them. Very much like I am here to survive and yeah. I'm going to get it done and, and I'm going to do it. But what happens she's as not it about politics. goes along yeah. is like between the first one being in it and then coming out of it and then going again into a second one, yeah. coming and getting out of it. She's so messed up by the third one. Definitely like PTSD. Yeah, her and Peter. Her and Peter. Particularly Peter. They wow. just, they can't hack it anymore. So sort of the Mockingjay sort of opens on her having nightmares and yeah. all this kind Constant, of stuff. Constant like, like uh, PTSD panic when attack, she's waking yeah. up, panic attacks. And the third one's basically about the, like there's no Hunger Games in this third one. It's about, it's basically all out war. It's the rebellion versus the capital. Your Star Wars story all over again. <laughs> And because she's the symbol of hope, she gets sent out on these um, war tours and they're not supposed to be fighting too much. They're basically there to, like, film propaganda for the rebellion with her, like, you know, basically being as the face of it. But, like, she just wants, like, if she's going to be there, she wants to get involved to, like, you know, work against the capital. So she tries to help out in, like, hospitals and stuff. Yeah, and she just realised how grim it is. The government kind the capital government kind of know that they're out there sometimes. mm -hmm. So they're sort of... They'll then go and bomb the hospital. That, yeah, you know. stuff like that. Um, the end of the first part of Mockingjay is essentially them infiltrating the capital to get back Peter and Jenna Malone's character. Yeah, so Peter's been brainwashed, yeah. which they don't know at this point. No. They, it's kind of obvious, but they're not sure. Yeah, because he does a lot of like um, videos for the capital yeah. just to say, Please stop doing your bombing, your rebel runs. Like you know, you guys won't win. So he's like, he's like essentially the face of the capital, whereas she's the face of the rebellion. Rebellion. So they want to get him, but he's been heavily brainwashed. And when they capture him and get him back, he like attacks her. He like proper. He tries to kill her. He has like a proper psychotic moment where he tries to kill her. And throughout like the part two of it, and the back part of the book is. Them trying to reprogram him to not have these rage outbursts because it's so built into his brain and he's really scarred from that the rest of the book and the rest of his life, actually. It says it right at the end. Yeah, so the way that they do it as well, like in the very first film, mm. they had these what they call like 
tracker jackers, which are like kind of wasps that have yeah. been genetically engineered by the capital because there's a lot of genetically engineered yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's mutated animals a lot. And all that kind well. of stuff. So it's sort of like these things, they cause hallucinations. So they used the venom from them to cause him hallucinations yeah. and then and programmed her, him. Yeah. yeah, to sort of see her as like the enemy. public enemy number one. Yeah. So he's kind of, he's very, very broken, which I think the book did better to show yeah. the movies. They show it. But it, in the book, it's grim. How, there's not a lot of quiet moments. He kind of yeah. is, and, and it kind of shows that. And there's also very much in these, like part one and twos. Yeah. With Gale as well, he's gone off to join the rebel army. Yeah, he also becomes like a lead soldier, like a, a leader of it, because he's like you know wants to be, help as well, because he love he also loves Katniss. Yeah. And it's co- sort of awkward because Katniss was always just this girl that didn't want any part in any of it. She just wanted to get food for her family to yep. keep her little sister alive. And she's, yeah, become the face of all of this stuff. She's been put in the games. Yep. She's asked to sort of pick a side where she doesn't really want to pick a side. She no, just wants, like anyone, to live in a world. A real big where they crux of the ending because at the end of part two, the rebels end up taking the capital. The capital. They end up winning. They capture President Snow. So everything's all said and done. And then she sees it for what it is. And you've got President Coyne, who's played by Julianne Moore. Um, standing above President Snow when he's kind of like strapped to a thing, and she's she's told as like the like the face of the rebellion to kill President Snow, like bow and arrow, shoot him. Therefore, it's all over. But the way she sees it, and the way it would go, is basically President Coin taking over. It, it nothing would change. No. It would have the same impact as what Snow would have. There'd be no change. The districts would all be the same, and. Knowing full well what happens uh, previously, just as the final battle was happening, that President Coyne uh, would do anything to win as well, yeah. because you know, like there's those bombings at the end that kind of secures their victory and, and some kills kills Primrose. Yeah, so the whole thing, like she was protect her sister, ends up not protecting her anyway. So she sees no change happening from killing uh, President Snow. So what she does is she's she's aiming her bow and arrow at him, and last minute she just turns up, aims up because the present coin's standing above yeah. and shoots her because she's like the only way to stop the wheel is, is, to, to, stop is it. to break it. And then they sort of have this, I mean, someone else takes over and whatever and there's sort yeah. of... Yeah, I think there's... There's a talk about having the Capitals kids be put in as victors, uh, not victors, as yeah. tributes to it all and they all have to vote like yeah, yeah. yes or no. And it's interesting because a lot of them are like, no, let's just end this. Yeah. And she votes yes, Yeah, which... Causes tension, I think, because it just shows how broken you are at that point. Yeah. Where you're like, sure, whatever, let let someone else's kids go in. Let yeah, them yeah. have a chain, like, chance at it for once. Yeah. But I think it ends up getting vetoed and then yeah. the series ends, both book and film, with her and Peter so many years later. Just living some back in District 12 because they get a house. Yeah. Yeah, with some kids. Yeah. And them just trying to get through it day to day. Literally, because they've got so many scars and so many and like traumas from these that's why events. She picks Peter in the end because yeah. Gail's become a soldier for war. Well, Gail, Gail As well. ends up causing the event. Well, that does happen. He causes the event that ends up killing Primrose. And he just thinks he's, you know, protecting the rebellion, protecting her. But he's... She just doesn't see that. She's like, well, Peter doesn't want any of that. Just wants to basically live like she does. And so that's why she picks him. Even though he's got all these, you know, still still some psychotic moments. And maybe they don't love, love each other. But yeah, they but just, they've got a connection. Yeah. They've been through it all together. So it's it's a little bit grim at the end. Like it's not like a super happy, fun time no, ending. No, not at all. Um, but I really appreciated the story. I thought it was really well done. And my only gripe is from the books, not the movies, she nailed the first two because it had a purpose. Like you go, oh, absolutely. Lead up Hunger Games, second one. Lead up Hunger Games, a different one, but still one. The third one's just an all-out war, and I think her weakest point is writing about war. I, I enjoyed the books. Don't get me wrong, but it was just it was harder. Yeah. to f- even get in the films, they're same thing, a bit right? like where yeah. is this going? Yeah. Whereas in the first two, there's a clear clear objective, yeah. and the characters have a clear motive. In the third one. It's, oh, the third it, and fourth, it, they don't have a motive. No. Katniss doesn't really have a she's motive. She's just there. She's just trying to figure it out, yeah. but that's not a motive for a character. No. So it sort of falls weak. I mean, she hasn't like – so characters usually have like an outer motive and yeah. then like an inner goal. Mm. So like her – she doesn't. She has an inner goal, obviously, mm. um, but her outer 
Mm. goal isn't really there. So her motivation as to why she's doing certain things aren't there, which works as a, like a person type thing, Mm -hmm. um, just going about in your life, but it doesn't work as a character thing Mm. because you need to take everyone on a journey and we're not sure of the journey. We're not sure of the, yeah. yeah. So it it sort of fell short in that regard, but as an overall as a film, film series, series, like a franchise, franchise was quite good, especially yeah. back then, and I missed it. Yeah, I've I, been watching. You've them been watching this them week. again, and I'm probably going to watch them again very soon. And I kind of um, just went. I had this heaps as a kid, like in my late teens, yeah, or early to late teens, and like I haven't had a series like this it in hasn't a long been a while, yeah. time. They just they make TV shows, but it's different. Yeah, and I just miss a good movie series, probably based on IP, like a book or whatever, but yeah. where it just is simple. Like I'm over superheroes. I don't need that every I'm done time. With, I'm done with superheroes. I want another well. story like this where it's like there's an adventure and we go on one yeah. and then each year I get a new like chapter of that. That's cool. That's fun. Yeah. 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 They need and to I start working yeah, retweaking it to do stuff like this again. I think it would be very good. But that, that just about wraps that us up. That is definitely the end of our talk about the Hunger Games. If you have any questions or want any more kind of comments on what we thought about it in any particular part about it, let us know. Write it into us. We'll answer it where we can. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow. And if you'd like, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BingeList, also threads, mm-hmm. um, or email us at BingeList and BoxOfficeHits at gmail.com. Also, Twitter is X, so maybe on X, whatever you want to call it whatever now. Whatever you want to call it now. Thanks, Elon. Thanks, Elon. And as always, I want to thank you all so much and hope you will listen again to us next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.